are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head over to Facebook and to find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and there you'll be able to share your own thoughts and reflections with those who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people, who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people, and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 258. We are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 22, Paragraphs 664 to 670. Chapter 22. How our Savior Jesus was crucified on Mount Calvary, the seven words spoken by him on the cross, and the attendance of his sorrowful mother at his sufferings. 664. Our Savior then, the new and true Isaac, the Son of the Eternal Father, reached the mountain of sacrifice, which is the same one to which his prototype and figure Isaac was brought by the patriarch Abraham. Genesis 22.9. Upon the most innocent Lamb of God was to be executed the rigor of the sentence, which had been suspended in favor of the son of the patriarch. Mount Calvary was held to be a place of defilement and ignominy, as being reserved for the chastisement of condemned criminals, whose cadavers spread around it their stench, and attached to it a still more evil fame. Our most loving Jesus arrived at its summit, so worn out, wounded, torn, and disfigured, that he seemed altogether transformed into an object of pain and sorrows. The power of the divinity which denied his most holy humanity by its hypostatical union held him not to lighten his pains, but to strengthen him against death so that still retaining life until death should be permitted to take it away on the cross. He might satiate his love to the fullest extent. The sorrowful and afflicted mother in the bitterness of her soul also arrived at the summit of the mount and remained very close to her divine son. But in the sorrows of her soul she was, as it were, beside herself, being entirely transformed by her love and by the pains which she saw Jesus suffer. Near her were St. John and the three Marys, for they alone, through her intercession, the favor of the Eternal Father had obtained the privilege of remaining so constantly near to the Savior and to his cross. 665. When the most prudent mother perceived that now the mysteries of the redemption were to be fulfilled, that the executioners were about to strip Jesus of his clothes for crucifixion, she turned in spirit to the Eternal Father and prayed as follows, My Lord and Eternal God, Thou art the Father of the only begotten Son, By eternal generation he is engendered, God of the true God, namely thyself, and as man as he was born in my womb, and receive from me this human nature in which he now suffers. 
I have nursed and sustained him at my own breast, and as the best of sons and ever can be born of any creature, I love him with maternal love. As his mother, I have a natural right in the person of his most holy humanity, and thy providence will never infringe upon any rights held by thy creatures. This right of a mother, then, I now yield to thee, and once more place in thy hands thy and my son as sacrifice for the redemption of man. Accept, my lord, this pleasing offering, since this is more than I can ever offer by submitting my own self as a victim or to suffering. This sacrifice is greater not only because my son is the true God and of thy own substance, but because this sacrifice costs me a much greater sorrow and pain. For if the lots were changed, and I should be permitted to die in order to preserve his most holy life, I would consider it a great relief in the fulfillment of my dearest wishes. The Eternal Father received this prayer of the exalted Queen with ineffable pleasure and complacency. The patriarch Abraham was permitted to go no farther than to prefigure and attempt the sacrifice of a son, because the real execution of such a sacrifice God reserved to himself and to his only begotten. Nor was Sarah, the mother of Isaac, informed of the mystical ceremony, this being prevented not only by the promptness of Abraham's obedience, but also because he mistrusted, lest the maternal love of Sarah, though she was a just and holy woman, should impel her to prevent the execution of the divine command. But not so was it with Most Holy Mary, to whom the Eternal Father could fearlessly manifest his unchangeable will, in order that she might, as far as her powers were concerned, unite with him in the sacrifice of his only begotten. 666. The Invincible Mother finished her prayer, and she perceived that the impious ministers were preparing to give to the Lord the drink of wine, myrrh, and gall, of which St. Matthew and St. Mark speak. Taking occasion from the words of Solomon, give strong drink to the sorrowful and wine to those that suffer bitterness of heart, the Jews were accustomed to give to those about to be executed a drink of strong and aromatic wine, in order to raise their vital spirits and to help them to bear the torments with greater fortitude. This custom they now perverted in order to augment the sufferings of the Savior. The drink, which was intended to assist and strengthen other criminals by the perfidy of the Jews, was now mixed with gall, so that it should have no bitter effect than to torment his sense of taste by its bitterness. The Blessed Mother was aware of their intentions, and in her maternal tenderness and compassion asked the Lord not to drink it. Jesus, in deference to the petition of his mother without rejecting entirely this new suffering, tasted of the mixture, but would not drink it entirely. 667. It was already the sixth hour which corresponds to our noontime, and the executioners, intending to crucify the Savior naked, despoiled him of the seamless tunic and of his garments. As the tunic was large and without opening in front, they pulled it over the head of Jesus without taking off the crown of thorns. But on the account of the rudeness with which they proceeded, they inhumanly tore off the crown with the tunic. Thus they opened anew all the wounds of his head, and in the, some of them remained the thorns, which, in spite of their being so hard and sharp, were wrenched off by the violence with which the executioners despoiled him of his tunic and with it of the crown. With heartless cruelty they again forced it down upon his sacred head, opening up wounds upon wounds. By the rude at tearing off the tunic were renewed also the wounds of his whole body, since the tunic had dried into the open places, and its removal was, as David says, adding new pains to his wounds. Psalm 68.27 
Four times during the Passion did they despoil Jesus of his garments and again vest him. The first time in order to scourge him at the pillar. The second time in order to clothe him in the mocked purple. The third when they took this off in order to clothe him in his tunic. The fourth when they finally took away his clothes. This last was the most painful, because his wounds were more numerous, his holy humanity was much weakened, and there was less shelter against the sharp wind on Mount Calvary. For also this element was permitted to increase the sufferings of his death, struggle, by sending its cold blasts across the mount. 6.68 To all these sufferings were added the confusion of being bereft of his garments in the presence of his most blessed mother of her pious companions, and in full sight of the multitude gathered around. By his divine power he, however, reserved for himself that neither garment which his mother had wound around his loins in Egypt, for neither at the scourging nor at the crucifixion could the executioners remove it, and he was laid in the sepulcher still covered with this cloth. That this really happened has been revealed to me many times. Certainly he desired to die in the greatest poverty and to take with him nothing of all that he created and possessed in this world. He would gladly have died entirely despoiled and bereft of even this covering, if it had not been for the desires and the prayers of his blessed mother, to which Christ wished to yield on her account. He substituted this most perfect obedience of a son towards his mother for extreme poverty at his death. The Holy Cross was lying on the ground, and the executioners were busy making the necessary preparations for crucifying him and the two thieves. In the meanwhile, our Redeemer and Master prayed to the Father in the following terms. 669. Eternal Father and my Lord God, to the incomprehensible majesty of thy infinite goodness and justice, I offer my entire humanity and all that, according to thy will, it has accomplished in descending from the bosom to assume possible and mortal flesh of the redemption of men, my brethren. I offer thee, Lord, with myself also my most loving mother, her love, her most perfect works, her sorrows, her sufferings, her anxious and prudent solicitude in serving me, imitating me, and accompanying me unto death. I offer thee the flock of my apostles, the holy church and congregation of the faithful, such as it is now and as it shall be to the end of the world, and with it I offer to thee all the mortal children of Adam." All this I place in thy hands, as the true and almighty Lord and God. As far as my wishes are concerned, I suffer and die for all, and I desire that all shall be saved under the condition that all follow me in profit of my redemption. Thus may they pass from slavery of the devil to be thy children, my brethren, and co-heirs of the grace merited by me. Especially, O my Lord, do I offer to thee the poor, the despised and afflicted, who are my friends and who follow me on the way of the cross. I desire that the just and the predestined be written in thy eternal memory. I beseech thee, my Father, to withhold thy chastisement, and not to raise the scourge of thy justice over men. Let them not be punished as they merit for their sins. Be thou from now on their Father, as thou art mine. I beseech thee also that they may be helped to ponder upon my death in pious affection, and be enlightened from above. And I pray for those who are persecuting me, in order that they may be converted to the truth. Above all do I ask thee for the exaltation of thy ineffable and most holy name. 6.70 This prayer and supplication of our Savior Jesus were known to the Most Blessed Mother, and she imitated him and made the same petitions to the Eternal Father, in as far as she was concerned. The Most Prudent Virgin never forgot or disregarded the first word, 
which she had heard from the mouth of her divine son as an infant. Become like unto me, my beloved. His promise that in return for the new human existence which she had given him in her virginal womb, he would by his almighty power give her a new existence of divine and eminent grace, above all other creatures, was continually fulfilled. To this favor was due also her deep science and enlightenment concerning all the operations of the sacred humanity of her son, none of which ever escaped her knowledge and attention. Whatever she thus perceived, she imitated, so that she was always anxious to study and penetrate them with deep understanding, to put them promptly into action, to practice them courageously and zealously during all her life. In this neither sorrow could disturb her, nor anguish hinder her, nor persecution detain her, nor the bitterness of her sufferings weaken her. If the great queen had assisted at the passion with the same sentiments as the rest of the just, it would indeed have been admirable, but not so admirable as the way in which she suffered. She was singular and extraordinary in all her sufferings, for as I have said above, she felt in her own virginal body all the torments of Christ our Lord, both interior and exterior. On account of this conformity, we can say that also the Heavenly Mother was scourged, crowned, spit upon, buffeted, laden with the cross, and nailed upon it, for she felt these pains and all the rest in her purest body. Although she felt them in a different manner, yet she felt them with such conformity that the mother was altogether a faithful likeness of her son. Besides the greatness of her dignity, which in Most Holy Mary must, on this account, have corresponded in the highest possible degree with that of Christ, there was concealed therein another mystery. This was that the desire of Christ to see his exalted love and benignity as exhibited in his passion copied in all its magnitude in a mere creature was fulfilled in her, and no one possessed a greater right to this favor than his own mother. This concludes our reading today for day number 258. We've been reading from volume 3, book 6, chapter 22, paragraphs 664 to 670. The Blessed Mother is aware of what's happening to her son. She's there as a witness. But she also knows what's happening in the hearts of others. She knows, for example, that the gall that they're going to give Jesus to drink is going to be bitter. She begs her son not to drink it. She doesn't want him to experience any more torment, but he agrees to do so. Then they wanted to execute him naked. And as they removed his cloak, they removed the crown, they renew all of these wounds, more blood shed for our salvation. But they can't remove the cloth around his loin. And as we see it on our crucifixes, and it's all because Our Lady did not want Jesus to be exposed in this manner, so it was prevented by her request of Almighty God. And then we have Jesus praying on the cross. Eternal Father and my Lord God, to the incomprehensible majesty, I offer thee, Lord, with myself also my most loving mother, her love, her most perfect works, her sorrows, her sufferings. I offer thee the flock of my apostles. I offer to thee all the mortal children of Adam. So Jesus is making this offering of himself on the cross. He allows Mary to unite everything she's experiencing to him. And in a sense, this kind of makes that title co-redemptrix possible, maybe understandable. 
that Jesus offers with Mary her pain and sorrow as he offers everything to the Father. And this offering, I offer these people, Jesus says. Well, we, in imitation of Christ, every time we pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet, Jesus, who taught Faustina, Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ in atonement for our sins, so that just as Jesus made that initial offering on the cross, with every time we say that prayer, we remember it and we renew that offering of Christ, that the most hardened sinner, that those who are most far away from God, that they might return to him. Jesus suffered and underwent so much for them and also for you and for me. I'm Father Edward Looney. And throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I'm grateful that you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.